Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat rolls on for this Friday. Darren Pritchett with you. It is 5.30. Once again, the Irish and the BC Eagles play tomorrow at 2.30. We've got Irish basketball tonight against Lipscomb. 6.30 pregame, 7 o'clock opening tip. So a lot of Notre Dame action here on WSBT Radio over the next 24 hours. Well, about 24 hours from right now, Notre Dame BC might be winding down. On a cold day, when you think running the football is going to be a good recipe for success, we might have a little quicker game than normal as the Irish and BC will play in what could be wind-chilled temperatures between 5 and 15 degrees. But fortunately, individuals like Patrick Engel from Blue and Gold Illustrated and myself are spoiled rotten because we will sit behind a glass in a heated room and enjoy Notre Dame and BC with a nice beverage, a little snack. I mean, it's ridiculous, Patrick. We should probably pay for all this. Yeah, this is the one day I'd be willing to uh, pay for the plentiful cups (laughs) of press box coffee that I'll probably consume tomorrow. Uh, just kind of looking down on all the folks freezing uh, down there. With, but, hey, this is – you got one more home game of the year. And, you know, you're still going to enjoy yeah. it if you're, if you're gone. Well, I'm pretty confident that Notre Dame is going to have a really good day tomorrow. But then, Patrick, in the back of my mind, I think about – I felt that way before Marshall. I felt that way before Stanford. And we know those days ended up in a way that none of us could have imagined. But the team has come a long way since Stanford, even though the second half of last week was perplexing. I'm just wondering what your overall thoughts on how farther along Notre Dame is right now to dominate one of these opponents that are not as good as them and avoid what happened against Marshall and against Stanford. Yeah, you know, after five games where you're favored heavily or at least by 10 points and not covering any, and not only not covering, but losing a couple, sweating out one last week, Cal just kind of doing enough to get by. Like, if it's been five times, you know, it's kind of hard to think that, oh, on the sixth, they'll get it together and, you know, find that formula to beat somebody by 25 points. So I'm I'm inclined to, and what I did in my official prediction this morning was take Boston College to cover what I believe at least still saw this morning was a 21 point spread. But, you know, I, I say all this and to say like, yeah, I, I think Notre Dame's going to still find a way to win the game, even if it's not as pretty as maybe you'd like to see or closer than you'd like to see. But yeah, it just seems on all of the games where they, they, they play up or down to the competition and in the moments of playing down, particularly last week, maybe not quite sure, Marcus Freeman has found that ability to hit the brakes or turn it around or or whatever it might be, stop bad momentum cold in a a game like that. And maybe that's a thing for the off season when you finally get there and maybe something that, you know, you won't magically find after six times, but who knows? They've thrown enough, enough, uh, thrown us enough surprises over the course of this entire year where, you know, predicting it or at least predicting anything against the spread has been kind of a fool's errand. Patrick Engel, Blue and Gold Illustrated, is my guest. Patrick, how did you put into words this week at Blue and Gold Illustrated the difference in the offensive performance in the first half and the second half against Navy? And at the end of the day, 
does it concern you at all with how the Irish were not able to do anything against that zero pressure in the second half? I mean, 20 plays, 12 yards, that just doesn't seem possible. Yeah, I personally, I, mean, I think it was their worst half all year. And the craziest part about it to me was that it wasn't like Navy just started going to zero blitzes in the second half. That was a lot of the, the plan in the first half because we saw Notre Dame beat it for the first three touchdowns they scored. So it wasn't like the idea of maybe zero blitzing or even zero blitzing often was something that caught them by surprise. I mean, the first touchdown was exactly a blitz beater. Same kind of play out, uh, angle route for the running back. You know you've got a free rusher and you get it out in time. Easy, untouched touchdown for Audrey Gestine there. Saw a similar play if you want to go back a little bit to the, the Fiesta Bowl mm-hmm. where Notre Dame knew there might be an all blitz coming on a third down, beat it with a, a quick little dump off to Chris Tyree. He runs free. But, yeah, it's just kind of a, a, a combination of a lot of things, whether that was Drew Pine really not being able to feel where the pressure was coming from and feel where, like, you know you've got six blockers with seven rushers. You know you're going to have an unblocked guy to feel where that's coming from. There were protection breakdowns. You know, the one sack stands out in particular is where you have a nine-man protection, you have the numbers, and, you know, you have a rare instance where Michael Mayer looks human and doesn't make a block. And then some instances where they've got a zero – pressure may be blocked right or at least he knows where the rusher is coming from but there's not really an easy friendly quick throw there right away where you've got you know guys all downfield or that angle route isn't there because the running back stayed in and then a couple times where there was you know an easy little dump off over the middle but you know you're looking deep or didn't see it or whatever so uh, just kind of an odd collapse of a combination of a few things from the first half because you look at it as clearly they had expected zero blitzes and repped against them in practice. And clearly it wasn't like it was, you know, the first time Drew Pine had ever seen one. So I'm, even though, yeah, it's technically a blueprint because Navy's not the only team that runs zero pressures. I'd be a little surprised if we see either of the next two teams just come out and do it that much. Just if only I'm like, yeah, there's a downside to it in that when you beat a zero blitz, you're going to get a big play like we saw in the first half. And that, you know, I don't quite think the, next couple defenses are maybe undersized or or maybe a little bit more of a potent pass rush than what Navy has there. So I don't think you're necessarily going to see that, which I think should cater to Notre Dame running the ball better than it did against Navy, which I think had something to do with the fact that you're running into nine guys a lot of the time. Patrick, I think you know I'm going to me when I put together this particular question, but you've got USC next week. And USC has not been able to stop the run very well this year, but they may go all out in trying to stop the run, which, again, is going to open up some opportunities with single coverage on the outside. I never want a game plan to worry about the next game. So as I say this, Notre Dame should be able to run the ball very effectively against BC. Do you think that Notre Dame will try to throw it a little bit more tomorrow? considering that you've got that game next week against USC. Again, I don't want them to leave what is best for the BC game, but does it offer them a little wiggle room to try to get something going in the passing game? Because I would love to see them try to reignite Lorenzo Styles. Patrick, he is too good to be a zero factor the last month. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for that, but just with how this game matches up and maybe with how the weather ends up looking – Boston College's run defense has probably been their weakest spot 
on defense. And obviously we know what Notre Dame has, has been able to do there up until last week between the UNC game and up until Navy. So I think you're going to want to see them get that back on track too, just because that's USC's weakness as well. And I'm, it's the first thing you think of when you're scouting Notre Dame's offense. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're not just going to line up with six guys in the box against it. But I'm not, like I had mentioned kind of with, with Navy, I'm not entirely convinced you'll see someone else throw an entire game plan of eight, nine-man boxes with a bunch of blitzes. Just because, and, and kind of to your question, like I think they did get at least a half of tape out there of here's what you can do or what, yeah. what's the downside as a defense to when you really sell out to them. And we saw Drew Pine make a lot of those throws. And we saw, like, it wasn't just that, oh, this guy's wide open like Audrey Estime. Like, the touchdown he threw to Jaden Thomas late in the first half was a great throw. So I think they should feel good in the sense that they have that on tape. And then just a matter of, like, feeling pressure and kind of going up and seeing, all right, pre-snap, you know this this is where it's going to come from. Or uh, coaching-wise, you have a, a feeling that, all right, this might be a zero pressure spot. Let's make sure there's, you know, an easy dump off so you can, you know, not take the sacks there. And that kind of seems like something you can handle in a couple of days of practice and at least kind of get where you want it to go or get back to why you're able to beat it in the first half. So kind of a long way of saying, like, I'm sure they'll be cognizant of taking the throws that are given to them if that's, in fact, what BC yep. wants to do this week. But I still think you're going to see what Notre Dame has done best throughout the year, and that's run the ball, especially because I think that's where it matches up worse with USC and kind of a way of, like, you know, if you want to play keep away with, you know, really, really good USC offense with a quarterback who might be a Heisman finalist, you're going to have to run the ball pretty well, too. Patrick, this Irish team has won seven of their last eight games. A couple of things, I think, have gone into that that are obvious. The ability to run the football. They have played pretty consistent defense, and now they're taking the football away a little more. They're getting to the quarterback, so that's creating opportunities. I think another reason why they've won seven of eight is that guys that have the NFL draft in their very near future are still locked in, like Patterson, Mayer, and Foskey. Putting all that aside, how much of this turnaround, when they were 0-2 and now they won 7 of 8, do you credit a first-year head coach in Marcus Freeman being able to continue to relay his message to this football team and obviously, they are listening and they're responding because this season could have gone a totally different way after that 0-2 start, or even, Patrick, when they lost to Stanford. Oh, absolutely. And even though I just kind of talked about, like, maybe where there's a little bit of a, a gap or still kind of feeling some things out of as far as not being able to blow out an opponent you should blow out, the fact that they didn't collapse after either of those two losses – uh, early in, in the first half of the, the year there is absolutely a credit to, to Freeman's staff. And, you know, part of that is, you know, we've talked about playing two competition. They played up to it as well, which is why you've seen him be so crisp on, on the road, why you saw him get up for, for Clemson there. Like, there's absolutely still a sense of, like, and I think it's partially due to, yeah, like just a matter of, like, the makeup of these guys who do have NFL futures probably this spring, but also coaching as far as, like, buying into the idea of, very early on that this isn't going to be playing for a playoff this year and yet still finding something to play for, whether that's week to week improvement or trying to get to 10 wins or, or just wanting to lay a foundation here, which we've heard Friedman talk about a lot more recently. 
all of those things seem to be still pretty fresh in the mind of Michael Mayer, Isaiah Foskey, Jared Patterson. And mm-hmm. I, I, that's not a surprise, just kind of getting to spend some time around those guys and just knowing what their makeup is. But absolutely a credit to coaching staff as well. As you look at the defensive side of the football, Patrick, who are a couple of guys that you have been impressed by, whether it's guys we expected to be really, really good or some guys a little off the radar that have really started to find their way into the rotation and make an impact on this defense? Yeah, I think kind of the easy one there is Ben Morrison, just in the fact that, like, you know, he was the one corner that didn't enroll early of this freshman corner class, and here he was three games into the career starting. And then obviously the whole Clemson, you know, real coming out party there, just a, a freshman really in, in designation only is what I've called him a, a few times there, but yeah. one to go a little bit off the radar that I think you probably saw this week being his best was Xavier Watts. And that if you were really kind of tuned into maybe the last four or five games of last year, when he started playing safety, like he'd moved over earlier, but when he started getting on the field, all right, there's some, some physical tools there. There's a willingness to come up and tackle there. But where really was the path to a lot of snaps this year after everybody came back with uh, Houston Griffith and, and DJ Brown there after getting Brandon Joseph? But they've still found a way to get him in the lineup. And, and last week with eight tackles, made his first start, uh, tackle for a loss there to get, help get a goal line stop on that long Navy drive. Uh, a guy who I kind of figured even in fall camp, like, all right, this is no matter what happens this year, unless it's just, you know, really goes south or he has some bad injury, probably a guy who you look at as a, a likely starter in 2023. And I think he's done as much as he could this year to kind of keep on that path. So I know that he's like, obviously Morrison being the easy, like surprise answer. And of course, you know, we can say everything there is about Isaiah Foskey, who's a, a sure. back away from breaking the, the Notre Dame record, but, uh, it, it, for a couple more deep cuts and then a surprise, yeah, I'd say Morrison and Xavier Watson, just two of the, the reasons why I think the secondary has been maybe the most surprising development of, of the defense in a good way. I'm going to shift gears, Patrick, just for a second. Let's spend a, a second on the Irishmen's basketball team coming up here on WSBT Radio at the bottom of the hour. They'll take on Lipscomb. I know Mike Bray said that Lipscomb, Princeton offense, they're more deliberate, but they're averaging 81 points per game so far this year. they got five or six guys scoring in double figures, so this might be another high-scoring affair at Purcell Pavilion. Just give me your early impressions of what you have been able to figure out about this Irish basketball team over their first three games, three games that have been, you know, pretty competitive, even though they had a nice lead against Southern Indiana, at least the Eagles made it interesting over the last five, six minutes. Yeah. Like last year, a little bit, I think it might end up being a year where you're having to mask a few things on defense where last year we saw them go to a a two, three matchup zone a lot in the latter half of the season as, you know, a way to be, more than the sum of your defensive parts. And maybe there's something like that midseason, you know, weapon there that they use to, to help kind of confound some, some offenses. But right now I think you're seeing, yeah, they, they're missing kind of an on-ball defender with the kind of tenacity that, that Blake Wesley had there. So probably something on that end that's going to need some time to either figure itself out as far as limiting the, the missed assignments or just figuring out how to, you know, make sure – the guys who might struggle on the ball aren't finding themselves in, in bad spots there. But offensively, I don't think you've really seen them 
take off in like that vintage, mm-hmm. make a lot of threes, generally generate a lot of open threes, almost two to one assist turnover ratio. Although I think you'll, you'll see that eventually like, this is a good enough shooting team with enough shooting depth that those are going to start falling and that you're going to end up with those 20 assists to nine turnover games, even though right now through three games, you're sitting at a dead, even uh, 34 to 34 assist turnover ratio. But even with all of that, they're three, and zero. I think that's just a credit to old guys, not really panicking in moments <laughs> where it would have been easy to, I mean, you just think about that opening day game where you're like, you know, you, you're a coming off an NCAA tournament where you won two games, you've got a rotation that's as old as or a couple NBA starting lineups, and then opener, bam, you're down nine in the second half in a bye game. Like, a lot of younger teams would have probably panicked there, or even maybe freshman guards who aren't J.J. Starling, or a freshman forward who's not Van Allen Luthen would have panicked there. Yeah. So, they're still 3-0 and without it, and what maybe they haven't had in that crispness of those – good assist turnover ratios they've made up for and getting the foul line a lot. And that is and Nate Lashevsky, especially a guy who, you know, we saw who's a complimentary player who sometimes would kind of drift in games has been a lot of like raise his hand. All right, we need a bucket. I'll, I'll, I'll make it happen. I'll draw a foul. So I think that's been a good development. And even if it means it's, you know, you take a little bit of time to get into that crisp offense, but you have this version of Nate Lashevsky. I think that's a, a good outcome for him. You made a great point. I had not thought about this yet, but Wesley's on-ball defense is something that they're going to miss throughout this season. We always think about him getting to the basket or hitting a key shot, but yeah, that's a great point about his on-ball defense. That is something that's going to be really hard, and I think we've seen it will be very difficult to replace. Well, Patrick, as we wrap things up here, how about a couple of thoughts of all the things happening at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com this weekend? Yeah, today we've had a, a lot of uh, things up, starting with my Friday column, my colleague Tyler Horka's uh, Friday mailbag. Tyler also did a story on, on John Sott uh, and the inspiration uh, behind really every game Sott yeah. plays. I highly uh, recommend that anybody go ahead and, and read that. And, of course, we'll both be there tomorrow and writing throughout the day into the evening. Very good. He is Patrick Engel, covers Notre Dame football, Notre Dame men's basketball for Blue and Gold Illustrated. Read all his work at blueandgold.com. Patrick, thanks for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. We will talk to you soon. Sounds good, Darren. Thank you. Thank you so much, Patrick Engel. Covering all things Fighting Irish for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Your time is 547. When I return, we've got the My Five coming up, how the Notre Dame-BC game will play out. And I'll throw out a couple of suggestions for this Friday as we look ahead to a busy weekend in sports. Let's see if we can do some good things in our sports wagering segment. All coming up next on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on the free WSBT radio app.